Hello and welcome everyone to today's episode of the Voices of E-Learning podcast. I'm your host, J.W. Marshall with Summit K-12. With me as always is Alina Marie Sale, the EdTech guru also with Canva. Thank you so much for joining us. We could not be more excited about today's guest. We have with us Mike Yates, and he is with the Teach for America Reinvention Lab. And I've got so many questions that I don't even know where to start. So I'm going to start with the first question we ask all of our guests, which I've actually stolen from a Teach for America alumnus, uh, Dustin Odom of Franklin Covey Education and the Change Starts Here podcast. We always, it's so good, I have to ask it too. We always ask our guests, not what do you do, but who are you and what do you love about what you do? Oh yeah, yeah. I like I like that orientation. I I am a I am first before anything. I'm a husband and a father, which I I love. Uh, I have a an, an amazing family, four kids, um, and a wonderful wonderful life partner and wife, who who I get to spend a lot of time with. But uh, I I do a bunch of different things around what's called the Reinvention Lab. Anywhere from creating content, making vlogs, videos, building programs like sneaker competitions, and now building sort of like business models and tech solutions for the organization. So I do, I do a number of things. I, that's why like, I don't really know like what my title is or like what my role is. I just, I just show up and do stuff like that's just a bunch of stuff. So I think that's what I love the most about it as well. Like the, I like the flexibility, you know, I got tired of rigidity in the workplace. So I like that I work remote and I like that I sort of, I have these very like different interests that engage both sides of my brain at the same time. And I, it's nice to be able to use them. So like later on today, I'm going to go have a meeting and do co-working while we're bu- building this like two-way marketplace platform. And I'm going to vlog the whole thing. Like I, that is, so I enjoy being able to do that at the same time. Okay. So it sounds like you are an innovator, a Renaissance man, you do it all. But for those in our audience that are not familiar with uh, Teach for America and the Reinvention Lab, if you could just give us a, a brief overview of TFA, but then really how did the Reinvention Lab start and uh, what's its purpose? Yeah. So in short, Teach for America is the largest education nonprofit in the United States easy way to frame what Teach for America does is primarily Teach for America sends young people, so recent college graduates, into low-income neighborhoods to teach for two years. If you ask people at Teach for America, what they'll tell you is that TFA is in the business of leadership development. So it's in the business of like identifying the greatest leaders in the country and using teaching as a mechanism to hone those leadership skills and to show them like where they can contribute their skills right out of college. The theory, the theory behind that is like, like when you bet on giving people an experience like that, then they will go off and like, they will never forget that experience. They'll go off and change the world. This, this like terminology hasn't yet caught on at Teach for America, but there is a, somebody on our executive leadership team named Whitney Petersmeyer, whose father did this amazing research with, I, I don't remember which president, but one of the presidents in, in, in the past. And he came, came up with this idea. He was, he was fascinated in trying to figure out like why people do good things at all. Like, why does anybody do good things? And he came up with this idea that there is a random triggering event. There is some event that happens, something that happens to us that makes us go, oh, the world is bigger than I thought it was. And it's more important to care about other human beings than I thought it was. And then they start doing good things work in the world. TFA, without 
using that terminology is in the business of creating random triggering events for the greatest leaders on the planet. Like that's technically the goal. The reinvention lab was born out of the fact that like along the way, TFA built up a reputation that was good in some places, really bad in some places as the organization grew, changed, made decisions, made bets, experimented, there were some real failures and there's real hurt in communities on the part of individuals. And the lab was born out of this idea that TFA needed to do something different so that the organization not just would survive, but that the organization would be like of true service to education, humanity, and leadership in the future. So the lab I, two and a half years ago, yeah, about two and a half years ago, was basically was two people. I wasn't even there. And then they started hiring people as the work ballooned and as we needed to, to be bold and, and build more. Um, and so now we're about nine people, a staff of nine. So we operate like a small startup inside of the large nonprofit. Okay, great. So what are some of your biggest accomplishments so far with the reinvention lab? I love to do things that people don't think will work. I am the type of person that if somebody's like, oh, that'll never work. It's it's not the like, watch me do it thing. It's the, ha ha ha. Like, like, like you don't understand how the world works. Like I, it is uh, I do take it as a challenge, but it is more that it, it that's not the moment that I, that, that I, that I dig, I dig my heels in at the beginning of the idea where I just know I'm going to be historically right. And my biggest accomplishment is I pulled off this very large sneaker competition that literally people laughed at me and they told me that it was stupid. They, they told me they didn't understand it. They didn't know why it was going to work. And I did it purely because I wanted people internally to think differently about the possibility of learning and partnership and brand and marketing and art. The secondary goal was to truly be of service to the organizations that we work with. So in the lab, we have a large network of education innovators. Our goal is basically like, we're going to assemble the Avengers. We're going to find the people in the U.S. who are doing work on the outer edges of education innovation, but also care about equity. And that's a very narrow, that's a small niche. But we think if you find those people and you basically use the institutional weight and power of Teach for America to give them things that they don't have, introduce them to people that they don't know, walk them into rooms that they can't get in into by themselves, or literally like take weight off their shoulders because they're busy building these incredible ventures, then we think you can see like real shift and real change by supporting those people. This is literally the thought process behind every venture capital firm. Only they're just like, we'll give you money. <laughs> like We'll take that burden off your shoulders. Since we're a nonprofit and we don't have millions and millions of dollars to give away, I mean, Arlen Hamilton, Mark Cuban, if you hear this, holla at your boy, like, let's figure it out. We could do that too. But um, so we we basically asked them, like, what do you need? And everybody, people building fantastic, like amazing future forward ventures. You guys had um, Vriti from K K20 Educators. She was one of the people that was like, yo, I'm down to do this. This is weird. Like, let me know what it is. And I'm rolling with it. And I was like, look, we're going to build a, a design experience where from, from week zero to week six, you're going to work with some of the most incredible sneaker designers and incredible creatives on planet Earth. There's a, there's a sneaker brand called I Love You So Much. 
that looks like a it looks like a ninja shoe like it's got the one the big toe separated and they they the design team wanted that sneaker to feel like a hug from your mom which is why they called the brand i love you so much and it has the best like i would just say the like the best colors the best feel right like and one of the best color theorists i've ever ever been in the same virtual room with uh, who works in the, the sneaker design industry. Her name's Sarah. She lives in Columbia. Like she, she was a part of this talking to education organizations about what colors communicate and how you can get people to change their behavior based on the colors they see. So we put them in the room with people like that, saw what designs they created. And then we brought in a panel of judges. They judged it. Now we're like releasing those sneakers. They're on sale right now. Like shameless plug, go to 99products.com. Like you should buy some. Um, the idea is that the sneakers are accessible. But what's what's more important about that is that it's a storytelling engine. Every time I wear them out of my house and somebody's like, yo, where did you get those? I get the chance to tell the story about Homeworks Trenton, which is the organization that won the sneaker competition. I get the chance to tell them the story about the reinvention lab. And my, my favorite thing is when I meet somebody who's a TFA alum and they don't know that the reinvention lab exists. And I say that and their eye, they're, it's like that that gif that everybody shared. Their, their eyes are like, oh, I didn't know that Teach for America was doing this. And I've, I've tracked this metric for myself. Nobody else in my organization knows that I track this. But I count the numbers of, man, I really hated Teach for America. But now that I know that you guys are doing this, I feel much better about the organization. And right now I'm at 59. So like, like that to me, that little sneaker competition was the biggest and most important thing that I've done so far. I've just been at the lab for a year and a half, but it's because I'm watching it shift and change the way that people externally think of Teach for America and internally what what people can do. Like we had a chance to take our entire organization through this design experience and just um, like hearing what's coming out of that, like different TFA regions, like TFA Houston, you know, wanting, wanting to replicate this in, in Houston with high school students, um, you know, people in Las Vegas, TFA Las Vegas, they have a different team name, but TFA Las Vegas, you know, just seeing how it, it inspired internally, externally. I think that's like right now, the big most, thing I'm most proud of. I think what I love most about that story and, you know, what the work that you're doing is the importance of showing design thinking and what it looks like, like on a large scale, but also introducing people who would never have experience to this opportunity. Um, we talked a little bit offline about this, but, you know, teachers, we've always been teachers, right? And when you leave school and anyone who enters usually Teach yeah. for America is usually fresh out of college or, you know, fairly new to the work life, you know, <laughs> real career driven life. And, and when you expose them to certain partnerships or certain ways of thinking, it opens their minds. And what happens is that starts to transpire outside of just their little tiny network, but they start to bring it like what you said it happening in Houston, they're bringing it to their high school students. And what happens is that these students for the first time in their lives, they're free to think and create not saying that they may not have had those exposures, but it's just a different level because you have failure and now you're working with a partner, you know, these people who are big influencers in this space. And it's the first time that the students are like, oh, wow, I'm sitting in a room with these people and they may actually value my ideas. And when they present them back, they do realize that their ideas are valued. And they actually have, sometimes the students will surprise you and come up with some of the 
greatest innovations that you would have never thought because their minds are so free and they're so young. They're inhibited by, you know, all these things that we carry as adults, all these extra baggages, and we're not big risk takers where they don't have, they are able to take bigger risks. So I think I just love that you're doing that, inspiring them because then it just inspires others long-term to look towards this model. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I think, and for us, the thing that we actually saw like in this competition was that the best designs came from the organizations or the founders that like went and built student design teams, right? As a matter of fact, the, the design that won was like purely and totally designed by students. And now they have like, they've like made this list of people that they want to get to from Michelle Obama to Beyonce to like Lizzo. Like they're like, now we, now they feel like they can do anything. So to watch that go from like the founder of the org and to see it, how it impacted them all the way to their students, like is phenomenal. I think also the way we also spoke about this offline was that you actually had this project come to life as you actually tweeted at someone. So there's such a power of networking also that these students start getting exposure to. So I think that's really neat that just you yourself and the project happened by a single tweet. So it just shows you the power of what you can do when you put the work in. Yeah. I mean, like you mentioned, like, like how teachers, like a lot of times, like we only know, I, I, I remember like, I have so many conversations where people say, I'll only ever be a teacher. And I remember being in that same seat. Like one day I came home and I said probably the most morbid thing I've ever said. And I was like, I will probably kill over in that classroom one day because I just didn't think that there was a way out. And when I found my way out of the classroom, I remember like the feeling of the world opening up around me. It was like one of those cinematic movie scenes where like, like the camera's panning, it's zooming away from your face and the world, like, that's what happened to, to, for me. And I was like, oh, I can, I can build a startup. I can build, I can take all these skills that I, I, I was using in the classroom, all of my side hustles that I wasn't calling business ventures. I was literally just calling them a side hustle. Like that was the, th- this is the culminating experience. And so to watch that happen for other people, like that is one of my, my goals in life is to help free as many teachers as possible from the matrix. Like not necessarily in ways that make you leave the classroom, but like, if you got to get out, you got to get out. Or if you're in the classroom and you need to expand the way that you think about learning or expand the way that you think about human beings, like I hope to do that for people. So like really glad you said that. Yeah, I feel, I feel exactly the same way I was in the classroom and I kept thinking, is this it? Like, is this, is this all there is? And then I started working with Kelly Loth at MindSpark Learning and they do a lot of this the first time our PD it was the first time we had a PD where it was like, oh, they're listening to us or, oh, they're thinking about something new. We actually went to engineering lab and they were making like lenses for like different, for different things like telescope, like all kinds of different things. And so we went to the refraction lab and we looked at all these other pieces, but we just got to speak with like the engineers. And I remember I I felt so excited. I'd never felt that kind of excitement in my day-to-day teaching. While I love teaching kids and I love inspiring them and those types of connections, I just felt like I was doing them a disservice. And so I remember from that moment on, it was like, nope, I'm not going to be doing this like boring rote stuff that bored me when I was in school. I want to inspire change and I want to inspire opportunity. And so I think that that work that you're doing and and things like Kelly and these other people that are inspiring the world, it's important because what you're saying, free yourself from the matrix. We don't have to just go in one linear line. Like we always thought we had to go. There's so many different twists and turns, but that also really 
actually reinvigorates your teaching and brings right. different opportunities to everybody. So I think, I think it's important work. Yeah. Well, and, you know, back to the TFA in the classroom, those current teachers talk about how important it is to uh, be innovative, disruptive, dare I say, cool as TFA, as the reinvention lab. And how important is that for your members, for your teachers, for their students, for future members? It sounds like TFA has really made an investment in the future and not just doing things the way they've done them for decades and had success that they are thinking forward um, or at least starting to with this reinvention lab. And it's really exciting. And we need more things like this to be excited about in education. Yeah. Like, I'll tell you, the person I have to shout out is like, is our CEO, Elisa Villanueva Beard. It is not easy to like become the CEO of an organization like Teach for America. Like so, organization. Like, right. Uh, yeah. Like mm -hmm. an, an one with an old history. And what's fascinating about Elisa is like, from my understanding of the history, Elisa like led TFA into some better days. Like she led TFA through one of the first real, like very like nationally difficult moments and is now at this, this, place where the market is shifting, right? The ground is shifting out from all, uh, out from underneath all of our feet in education, right? Like the field is changing and I don't envy her, but like, I want to do everything I can to support a person who chooses to raise their hand at a moment like this and say, I'm going to continue to lead. Like, it would be very easy for her to be like, I'm going to go to Google for education. See y'all. <laughs> right. But like, instead she's choosing to, to, to stand, stand up and lead. And so it also takes a lot to say like, we need to hire these people from outside of the TFA's pipeline. Like I was rejected for, for the core in 2015 in like the way, a way that was either very ruthless or they were like watching out for me in that they shut my interview down short and they were like, look, there is somewhere for you. It's not here. I tend to think now that th that person was probably looking out for me because you, when you talk about innovation in the classroom, like that, that's what I came in with. Like I, I started teaching when I was 19 formally in a juvenile detention center where I had a 17 year old kid look at me and say, my brother is older than you. You, you better not lecture me. And I was like, dang, cause I had lecture notes and I didn't know what to do. I was, I was 19. So I looked at him and I was like, all right, this is my plan. Like I literally was like handed him a binder he was like, nah, we should rip this up. Like, we're not doing this. And he literally, like, you want to talk about, like, being thrown in the fire? Like, right there in the hallway of a juvenile detention center in San Marcos, Texas, this 17-year-old kid, like, planned the rest of my time there. And was like, he was like, no, you're supposed to teach us music and poetry. We need to be doing that. We don't need to hear you talk about it. And so every day he was like, we're going to start off by writing our own poem and then we're going to switch papers and we're going to evaluate the, like he like built, and I, that, that experience taught me, I was like, oh, like young people know far more about learning than we give them credit for. The, the, the piece to solve for is motivation, right? Like how do you motivate young people to go do great work? How do you motivate them to learn? I, I find like, like, mo like because school has like such a stigma to it. Most young people, like when they come to school, they conceptualize it in a certain way. And so being the innovator in the classroom, honestly being liked and being cool because you're the innovator, that helps disarm students from what they know to be school. Um, there, there's a, and I, I hesitate to call this place a school 
because what I'm about to say, you'll see why. Like, there's a school though in Barcelona called Learn Life, and they they're intentionally not Learn Life Academy. Just like I I worked on a school in Austin that was intentionally not Alpha Academy, not Alpha School, not Learn Life School. They're Learn Life on purpose, and around there they say school is a dirty word because they don't want students to associate what they're doing with school. They want them to associate it with learning. They don't even call them students. They call them learners or they call them by the first name. So I think like being innovative, really scrutinizing everything that you think you know about school, everything you think you know about education, even going so far as to get rid of the word school from your vocabulary, like doing all of those radical things that make the teacher down the hallway question you, like it makes those veteran teachers say, oh, you're doing too much, stop. Those things are really, really important because that's how you reach students. And I really do mean this. This is like the most cliche thing I'll probably say on this podcast. But like if every teacher just decided like, I'm going to get one this year, I'm going to get, I'm going to change one kid's life this year. I am fine with that. I, I had that teacher who like, I, I hated school. And in high school, I had a teacher named Mr. Martin, who by the way, was a TFA alum. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> he just chose like I don't know why he picked me to this day I don't know but he just was like I see something in that kid and I will not let him walk out of these doors before he sees it in himself and just like my entire school my entire life was changed because that one teacher and he did it for more than just me but like really if teachers just focus on one and if you just let go of the ego and if you just choose to do the scary thing and choose to get out of your comfort zone, like you will change the world. Well, and not only motivate, which is the first step, but then also creating opportunities, empowering the yeah. students to really to, to take ownership of their own learning, because that's the only way it's going to stick, right? We talk yeah. about lifelong learners, and many of us in education and around education need to practice what we preach. And I'm so yeah. proud of you for doing that, being and modeling to the students that don't just, you know, do what I say, but do what I do. We're continuously innovating and learning in every classroom. But we also have to give those students the freedom to fail. And we have to give them those opportunities mm-hmm. to make their their learning journey their own and not just sit in a classroom and listen to you lecture, which I'm so thankful for that 17-year-old. I want to know where he is today uh, yeah. as well. But um, yeah, talk about the importance of creating those opportunities and empowering students to learn. Yeah, it, I, I think like, The biggest paradigm shift that I hope that we see is the the shirking of expertise from teachers. And what, what I mean by that is like, teachers enter every school year believing that they are the expert in the room. And for the most part, like that's true, right? Like most teachers know more fifth grade math or geometry than the students that they're teaching. And that will normally always be true. But most academic subjects are not interesting enough in themselves to hold the attention of any child ever. Like or any adult. Yeah, or any adult. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, don't get me started on adult learning. <laughs> adult learning experiences are like the worst because it's they just are. like college is like <laughs> yeah. Until you and get into like your more experiential classes. Yeah. It's Oh my gosh, like applied sociology, that degree plan at Texas State University saved my college career because I was like, y'all, I'm not coming here to listen to you lecture to me and 300 other kids. I'm not doing it. So I just, I think like when you dig deep and you do 
like you create experiential learning it's it's not a it's to to me it's not about i mean it does stick it's the learning that sticks all the things that people say it's not really about that though it's about giving kids a rep with like like you said jw like a rep with failure like my dream is for schools to actually get rid of number and letter grades because the second you introduce a number and letter grade, you cheapen the experience. It is done. It's over. And so if, if you can get people to understand that failure actually is like truly a part of the process. And, and so like you need to destigmatize failure. It's not like there, there, there are education voices that are acting like you should celebrate failure. And that is not true. Like failure still should suck, but it should not, it, it shouldn't be the thing that cripples you. And then in, and I think the only way to do that is like, if you start divorcing academic tasks from IQ period, like if you measure, I, like time is a much more useful measurement of academic achievement because there's a direct correlation between doing more of something and getting better at that thing. Typically speaking, if you do more, even if you do, even if you're ineffective, like talk to bodybuilders or talk to personal trainers. And they're like, look, even if your form is bad, your muscles will grow over time. You will get stronger over time. You may develop an injury or you may get injured along the way, but you will improve even with bad form, like period. And, and so there's, every time I say this, there's the people that are like, oh, well, if you practice imperfectly, then you'll get worse. That's not actually true. Imperfect practice over time still equals improvement. And so I think if we can inject some of that sort of mindset and paradigm shift into the learning, the traditional learning systems, because they're there in, in these like independent schools, they're in these wealthy private schools, like the billionaires are getting into the school game and they're getting into it this way, right? Which I, I am actually very appreciative to see that Jeff Bezos Academy is a thing, right? Like I like that Elon Musk cares about school. And I like it because it will both motivate people in a good way, but also it will upset people enough to start doing something different. So on every front, I want Mark Cuban to start schools in Dallas, Texas. I want Tillman Fertitta. I don't know if Tillman Fertitta listens to your podcast, but I hope he does. And I'm going to send it to him just in case we can get Tillman Fertitta. But I want Tillman Fertitta to build the Houston Rockets Academy, a K through 12 school. I don't care like what the type of school is, but I think like, like we have to start, these paradigm shifts have to happen. Yeah. They're happening in the public sector in these small pockets. Like, like, like you guys should know about what's going on in North Dakota. I feel like those people need, they need to come on this podcast. The superintendents in North Dakota got together. They defined what innovation meant for their state. And they're doing things in public school districts, like getting rid of grades, mastery-based learning. And people ask them like, how do you get colleges to care? They're like, look, we just invite North Dakota state into our schools, period. Done. You know? And so I, I, I I really do think the important, I could literally ramble on about the importance of innovation at the classroom level all day, but I think that's it, right? Like we can talk about policy. We can talk about wide sweeping like agenda changes, but until teachers decide to take it upon themselves to, to like really pursue innovation at a classroom level, I don't think anything's going to change. And it's harder. Like it takes more time, but it, nothing will change unless we do that. It does take more time. I think on the front end, I think yep. once you learn how to do it and you get a couple of reps, it's kind of like, 
I don't know. Yeah, that's true. The first time you're kind of like riding a bike, right? Like the first time you have training wheels and then you're first you're on a tricycle, then you have training wheels and yeah. you learn how to ride your bike. Then you get on the big boy bike or big girl bike. And you're like, yes, you know, like you're yeah, just cruising, right. like nobody's business. It's sort of like that the first time. So that's like true. the first time you make an innovation risk, it could be something small. It could literally be rethinking how you're doing a math exercise and having them mm -hmm. do an application practice or having them come together and talk about how they actually got their answers. Because if you have 30 kids in the room, I guarantee at least five of them have a different way to solve it than the one that you yep. taught them and they'll do it. They don't care. They're not going to yeah. advocate. They're just going to do it that way because that's what feels comfortable to them. And it's okay for somebody else to swim upstream. You know, you just have to realize that it's okay to take a risk. And I would say, start small, like exactly what you're saying. It starts at the teacher level, but also starts at the administrative level. Like what you're yeah. saying, all those superintendents got together. That's important. It's important work for administrators to collaborate with each other. I think we have teachers from the pandemic realizing that they can collaborate with one another, but it's the administrators that are still struggling to, I think, yep. grasp that. And it's tougher because you have a lot more responsibility, right? There's a lot more risk on your shoulders than just the regular teacher, mm -hmm. not saying that they're just a regular teacher, but a single teacher has a little bit less weight than the school, than the school yep. administrator who has all the student, 500 students, all their staff, like that sort of a thing. So I think, I think it's also encouraging like that collaboration. And if you don't know, reach out to places like yep. the innovation lab who would gladly, I'm sure you guys would gladly work with the school district who's struggling to understand Absolutely. how to do innovation and be able to use those practices in their school systems themselves. Yeah. We're actually like literally in the middle of creating a design philosophy and, and we have like a we have what's called, we, we, we're calling it our learning studio, but we coach right now TFA regions, like in that, like how to create innovation on my own. Like I have a consulting agency called Schoolish that used to be a podcast. And now it's a consulting agency. Like right now I'm exclusively working with homeschool families, people who are interested in homeschool, but they don't think that they can do it. I have a whole nother soapbox about the homeschool industry. And I call it that on purpose. People selling textbooks from 1997, like Y'all, please stop the madness. Yeah, but um, yeah. software but like, on a CD-ROM. I'm not kidding. People that have still up happens. Our house. That's really yeah. serious. Like, still yeah. happening, and the, and they are still selling them like on their sites, mm -hmm. like legit CD-ROMs. I don't even know where you would go to figure out how to have a CD-ROM now, but you know. Yeah, I just saw a website that was like, "Let me give you the Amazon link so you can buy the DVD player too." I was like, "Please stop!" <laughs> like so. I worked with a, a, a tech company and they had years ago, their CD-ROMs that they had used and they had evolved now, obviously to like an online offering, but the teachers still are requesting their old CD-ROMs. I believe it. Like, I, like <laughs> shocks I, me. I, I'm like, what for real? <laughs> you know, I, I wish somebody would do a formal study on this. There's a, there's a guy um, on TikTok. His name is coach Curtis 88. That's his, that's his username. And he is an AP U.S. history teacher. And I bet you anything that his, his students are nailing the AP exam because he turns all of the historical dates that they're supposed to know into one-minute TikToks where he's, like, wearing the wigs, like, wearing the outfits, like, really, you know, and I, I just, that's more valuable than any DVD to me. Like, you know, so I, I think I, I personally will help any school get unstuck any, if you're looking to get into homeschool, like because of the tragedy that just happened in Texas, I saw a lot of people that were like, I'm afraid to send my kid back to school. 
And I was like, look, I'm not here to tell you whether or not you should be afraid or not. But if you don't feel comfortable sending your kid back to school, like, please hit me up and like free of charge. I will hand you the homeschool program that I built for my kids so that you know that at least I trust it. Like if you trust me as an expert, I will give you the program that is working for me that we built. And this program came from a school that I built in Austin called Alpha. We also built a version of it in Fort Worth. Like, and, and, and so that, like that offer is like what I'm giving for the next, like throughout the summer, like for free, I will coach you and teach you how to build this into your school, school districts, charter school, in, anyone who hits me up. Like I just got a bunch of people from YouTube that just emailed me and I'm like, all right, great. Like, let's get it going. So yes, coaching. The lab will coach. I will coach. Yep, absolutely. There are resources out there. And I, I just have to reiter- reiterate again, coming out of this pandemic, this is the biggest opportunity in modern education history to yes. make change and to think big and act big. Sometimes you need to start small and build up, but then build fast and and, and gain quickly because this window could close. We can't uh, assume that it's going to last forever. Right now is the time. And we talk about that a lot on this show. And also, if you're a teacher out there, you've never been in more of a position of power to innovate and break some rules because you're not going to get fired. There is a teacher shortage that we're all very aware of. And I'm not saying to be a cavalier about it and break rules intentionally, but districts and administrators are more open. They're more open now than they ever have been to listening to you, to helping you get what you need to stay and not just to stay and tough it out, but to stay and thrive. Like the whole industry is ripe for innovation. And the funny thing is a lot of this has been happening in pockets for years, right? This isn't something that is brand new and you can find those stories and you can find those resources online to see, oh, someone did this in 2015, 2018, 2019, pre-pandemic it was happening, but the pandemic has shown a light on what can be. And it is an exciting time. I would, I always say this is the the beginning, the dawn of the golden age of education, because we're shedding a lot of the bureaucracy and a lot of the, the things that haven't really been working for a while, but people were too lazy or stubborn to admit it. And now is the time to push forward and to try new things. And I, I just love the work that you're doing at the Reinvention Lab to, to be a beacon of hope and inspiration and innovation for not just TFA, but for all of our educators. So Thank you for your service, even though you didn't end up uh, a TFA or you were maybe ahead of your time in 2015 (laughs) for TFA, right? I think so. But now now the time is right. And uh, and I know you don't have too much time left for us because we've had such a great conversation and we're going to have you back on sooner than later. We have a lot of our guests on every three to six months. We may have you on sooner than that. But what would you like to leave our audience with as far as give them a word of inspiration on, on what you're doing and what they can be doing to keep moving the ball forward? quickly at this critical time uh, right now in 2022. Yeah, I think it's uh, something that something that you you said, like the combination of, of actually both two comments, right? Like one, like I think at the teacher level and really even like administrators as well, like now is the time to take the risk. Like right before COVID, I remember saying like, oh, this is the moment, like this is it. And I was disappointed, but I was actually wrong. It's like, the moment is like the lull. It's like, Mm -hmm. as we're starting to come out of this pandemic, the teacher shortage is worse than it's ever been. And I will also just add, like, it's going to get worse. Yep. Because Gen Z is not coming to save us. Generation Alpha is not coming to save. Like what they are telling us, there are whole TikTok accounts where you can find out how much whatever position you care about 
how much it pays. They are not coming to teach. And because of that, if you are currently a teacher, like you have all the freedom you need finally to experiment. If you need support, there are organizations, there are school networks that are here to support you that will not charge you or that will charge you a very low price. The lab, we ain't charging nobody. Like we're giving it, you know, like hit up the big picture learning schools. They give away all their resources and learning for free. Right. So I would say administrators and teachers experiment. And I would also challenge like parents to think differently, think more critically about what what school option is right for your family. Right. Involve your child in that discussion and really figure it out. Like, what can you afford and what are you willing to, to put into a school experience? And are you willing to like huddle up with your neighborhood and build your own school? Like, I really think like that, Micro that can schools. be powerful. If, yeah. Like mm-hmm. neighborhood based micro schools, like finding all sorts of innovations in that way. I think that can be powerful. And I'll end on this. You owe it to the teaching profession to innovate right now, because that's yes. the only one of the only ways we're going to get teachers to come back or to, to keep coming into the pipeline is for the teachers currently there, again, not to tough it out, but to take risks and innovate and get support of your administration, even if you don't think you can, because when those stories start to, to go you know, viral, as well as other reforms, higher teacher pay and things like that, then you're going to be the ones that help make the teaching profession what it needs to be again for yourselves, but also for others. So hopefully this has been an inspirational episode to everyone listening, administrators, educators, that now is the time. And I wish we had more time with Mike Yates right now, but I know you've got another meeting and you've got to go. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time today and sharing your passion, your insights. Thank you, Mina, for sharing your passion and insights. I love co-hosting with you because so many times you're like a guest and a host at the same time because you're teaching experience. And to our audience, thank you for joining us. This is, we're just going to call it right now, part one with Mike Yates. Part two will be coming uh, down the road sooner than later. And um, continue to engage with us uh, and our show on social media and, uh, you know, reach out, email, call us uh, and uh, let us know uh, what you think about the show and more we can do to provide episodes like this um, for our audience. So thank you both for joining. Thank you to the audience. Check out past episodes and always, always keep learning. Bye, everybody. Bye.